Welcome everybody to a brand new episode of the Evil Safety Dudes. I am your host, Mr. Aaron Icino, the Director of Risk Management for IBC. And this is our podcast where we get to talk about anything and everything that has to do with occupational health and safety. If it's a hazard to anybody on any job, anywhere in the world, we get to talk about it on this show. If it's how not to get crushed by a tipping over forklift or how not to get crushed by your own vehicle when you're jumping in and out of it all the time or how not to get crushed by a vehicle if you're unloading at warehouse docks, it doesn't matter what the hazard is. It doesn't matter if it's an active killer being sucked into a machine. If it's getting skin cancer on your back from being a residential roofer working with your shirt off all the time, we don't care what it is. It doesn't matter how big, how small. If it's a hazard to you on the job, we're going to talk about it on this show. And this is episode 157. Now, this is how to train part two. Before we jump into today's content, as always, please remember to like, rate, subscribe, share, and leave positive reviews. This helps immensely with ratings because we have some evil goals here at the Evil Safety Dude Podcast. I don't know if you knew this or not, but we want to be the number one Evil Safety Dude Podcast in the world. What does that mean? Well, we're not trying to be the number one podcast in the world. Um, you know, I don't want to be pessimistic, but I would think a, a occupational health, safety, and security show could be number one podcast in the world. But, I mean, it could. Everybody works. Well, not everybody, but a lot of people work. So it does relate to almost everybody. But we want to be the number one safety and security podcast. So it's it's totally doable. It's an achievable goal, guys. Um, don't you want to be the listener and the subscriber to the number one safety and security podcast in the world? How cool would that be? So let's go, guys. Let's get it. Let's review, 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 like, rate, subscribe, and share. Okay, enough of that. What are we talking about today? Well, last podcast, we were dealing with a lot of the classroom stuff on training. But then I want to move on to all the hands-on stuff. Because really in uh, the real world, in adult education, in on-site training, in occupational training, it's a lot of hands-on. You know, there is some lecture, there is some classroom, but man, hands-on, hands-on, hands-on. Because we're training people to do skills because that's why they're there at the job to actually do stuff physically. So there's a lot of training. So we're going to talk about that. Let's talk about hands-on training. All right, so what are you going to do? Let's say it's a scissor lift operator certification class, a forklift operator certifi certification class, a permanent quiet confined space entry certification course. You know, what are you going to do? What are you going to do for hands-on? This is a thing that gets a lot of safety trainers stuck. They got a good PowerPoint. They got a good test. They got a good sign-in sheet. They even maybe have a good evaluation form. They got all their, like, classroom stuff all together. They got a good outline. But then it's like, what do I do for hands-on? Because there's some issues we got to think about. For one, it's got to be safe, man. You know, you don't want to take a bunch of newbies who've never done a permit required confined space entry and straight up put them in a hydrogen sulfide vessel as their classroom training. You know, like that's like a real deal right there. You know, you want to make sure it's safe. So uh, same with forklifts, man. Oh, man, there's this one plant in town. They have these uh, power industrial trucks are called pallet riders. I always said they need to ha be their own sport in the X Games. These things are crazy. 
you're on a little platform and these things go fast. There's no power steering. The only way to turn them is by going. So you can't really go slow and turn and be smooth. You kind of have to go fast just to turn the thing. I, there's no overhead protection. There's no side protection like in a stand-up forklift. You're literally just standing on a platform like a skateboard flying around. Uh, they're insane. They're crazy. I don't even know how OSHA approves pallet riders. They're wild. Let me tell you, if you don't know what a pallet rider is, look them up on the internet. They are crazy. Okay. But anyway, your training has to be safe, just straight up, man. Because if you're a safety trainer and you hurt people training them, you're probably not going to be in that position very long. Um, thank God I have never hurt anybody in a class. And I've trained people how to repel, confined space, operate millions of different, not millions, but many different pieces of equipment. And thank God I have never had anybody get hurt. Okay. I had a guy drive his forks through the dock once. I had a guy almost plow through some trailers once. Um, but thankfully, no one's been hurt. But why? How is that? Has that just been dumb luck? No, that's been calculated. I mean, just yesterday I was doing a class. I, I went on site to see where they were going to have me operate for the hands-on portion. It was a forklift operator certification. And I didn't like the space they gave me. It was too tight of quarters. There was all these cars around. And I'm like, I am not going to be responsible for these newbies because they were new. They weren't seasoned operators who just didn't have the card. These were people who have never ran a forklift before. Some of them haven't even driven a car before. They were kids. So I was like, I am not going to have these kids slam into one of these vehicles. So we, we just moved the class outside. So that's what I'm going into is the environment. If you're doing hands-on training, especially operator certification, where they got to operate stuff, and, and this is kind of the – a good rule of thumb for all hands-on training. You need a quiet, large space with low traffic and low stimulus. Basically, you need a conducive environment to learning, just like your classroom. Your classroom shouldn't be break rooms or in the shop where there's just so much stuff going on all the time. People can't focus. Same with your hands-on training. If you're trying to do hands-on training, in a tight, close-quarter spot with millions of pedestrians, millions of other forklifts and scissor lifts and pallet riders and walkies flying all around and the intercom going off and people's music going off, and trucks backing up and trucks taking off. Oh, man, it's a terrible learning environment. You know, you really need, especially if you're training noobs, people have never operated before, they really need to dial in and focus on what you're telling them to do. And that's so hard when the environment is not conducive to that. So... You need to find a quiet place with not a lot of traffic and low stimulus where it's not loud. Man, I really don't like some of the places I have to train. Some places legitimately just don't have that quintessential perfect hands-on training area. Uh, one plan I go to, they got a wide open space with low traffic, but it's still loud. The The ambient noise from the machine, <laughs> I have to yell. I hate yelling when I teach, you know? It's hard to yell and not come off across rude or angry. I mean, it, it could be done. Hey, everybody, I can raise my volume and not seem mad, but it, it's just hard, you know, S especially when someone's driving the wrong way and you go, hey, you know, and they can't you, hey, you know, you got to yell. Sorry for your ears, everybody. But 
I don't I don't like to have negativity in my training and when there's all this ambient plant noise and I got to yell at everybody I just don't like that. I I wouldn't want to be a student being yelled at the whole time even if the instructor's not angry yelling just the fact that he's got to yell to talk. Plus a lot of these plants and they got to make you to be on the floor you got to wear uh hearing protection. So you got these foam uh hearing protection in. You got loud ambient noise and you're trying to teach people that's a recipe for disaster. So I really dislike when I have to train in those environments. So try to get a quiet, chill, conducive environment for hands-on learning as well. Quiet place in the warehouse. Even if you got to drive that dumb sizzle up all the way across the plant to get it to that spot, it's worth it. Trust me. All right. So that's one of my key points. You need a good environment to do the hands-on training. But what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Well, I like to train people as close as I can to what they're going to really do. So let's say a guy uh, has to uh, load uh, racks or unload racks. Well, for that guy, I want him to take an empty pallet with a trash can on it and put it in the, on the ground level one first. All right, that's the easiest one. And then, all right, put it on the, the, the first level, you know, the, the first one up, not the ground. All right, go to the next one, go to the next one, go to the next one. You know, basically walk, or sorry, crawl, then walk, then run. You don't have a a person their first time running a forklift try to put something on the fourth rack, a full 2,000-pound pallet. That's just a recipe for disaster. It's too hard. You got to work. You got to train people. You got to give them baby steps. Let's say a person has to load or unload semi-trailers with the forklift. Well, that's what I want to do for my hands-on evaluation. I want him to operate that load leveler right, the dock lock, the light, to understand the light systems, the green and red light at the dock. Or if they got a uh, old school, poor technology um, dock, I need them to understand how to put the wheel chocks in. I need them to understand how to visually inspect the floor of that trailer so they don't fall through it from dilapidated, soggy wood. And then I'm going to use, I like trash cans on pallets because they're a little wobbly. So it makes people kind of focus a little bit more. Plus, if they do botch it, you're not going to hurt anything. But I actually want them to drive into that trailer after they did all that and, and pull out of that pallet and drive back. You know, I want my training to be relevant and pertinent, just like I want my classroom training. I want my hands-on and my classroom training all to be relevant and pertinent. If you just have someone grab a pallet, move it over you know, five feet and put it out, yeah, you evaluated them. You saw that they could drive and operate the lifting levers of the forklift. That's OSHA compliant. Because even in the hands-on portion of the OSHA regs, they don't spell out exactly what you have to make people do to evaluate them. It just says you have to evaluate them operate. You know, an instructor with knowledge, training, experience, and how to train has to perform evaluations of these candidates operating. That's all it really says. But I'm trying to go a step further and train well by having them do a drill that actually reflects how they're going to use that machine. If it's a scissor lift and their third shift and they got to clean the tops of the machines once a month, that's all they do with the scissor lift. Guess what we're doing? You got to drive up to that machine. You got to get close enough to it without hitting it. And you got to go up high enough to where you could clean appropriately without overreaching and overleaning over those rails. That's a good drill. You know, um, if it's maintenance and they're going to change uh, 
light bulbs in the parking lot. If that's the only thing they use that boom lift for. Okay, cool, man. Guess what our drill's going to be? We're going to be outside. You're going to drive up. You're going to get as close to that, that light pole as you can without hitting it. You're going to go up, try and keep the basket over the center of the, of the wheelbase, not, not too telescoped out. And you're going to go up and you're going to touch that light. And then you're going to drive it back and you're going to park it where it goes and plug it in. That's my evaluation. And it, it's really close to what they're doing in real life. So I know when I certify them, they're going to be able to pull that off because basically my training mimic what they're going to do. So that's something to think about. But I just want to be clear, though. That's not OSHA required. Um, OSHA is the minimum requirements. So, you know, you could do something a lot more generic and it still be legal. But we're not just trying to be legal. We're not just trying to be compliant on this podcast. We're trying to go to best practice. We're trying to do the best job we can. And so if you want to do the best job you can as a trainer, try to make your training safe, but reflect how they actually use it. Progress from simple to hard. And my advice is don't use live product. Say it's a forklift class and you tell them to go scoop up a pallet and move it somewhere and they dump the pallet and break the contents, but that's five grand worth of raw ingredients, that's bad for you. It'd be better to have, like I said, a trash can on it, you know, with nothing in it or a little bit of trash in it. So then they have more incentive to do it right because they'll have to clean up the mess if they make it. So these are the things that I like folks, trainers to think about when they're doing hands-on training. And then, you know, you got to have equipment. Sometimes you just can't find a pallet. So it's cool, like, if if your boss allows you to, to – maybe it's an empty IBC tote you're always using. And and you spray paint on it. For forklift training only, do not move. You get permission for a designated area for your training equipment. Everybody knows that's yours, not to touch it. You got it marked, and it's always there when you need it. That's always nice, too, because when you go to do training and you have no pallets to, to train with, that, that's trouble if it's forklift and people move stuff with pallets. But just make it realistic. You know, you could get a maintenance person for a forklift, and they actually don't move anything palletized around. They're always rigging to pumps and pulling pumps out and then replacing them with new pumps. Well, now you got to teach hoisting and rigging. Now you got to make sure that forklift is designed for a below the fork lift, free rigging. Then you got to teach them how to use the apparatus to put on the forks to put the rigging to. So you're not free rigging. Like there, you just got to train right. You know, whatever the attachment is, whatever job they're doing, make sure they're adequately trained to perform the task. You might have 15 different hands-on evaluations because you might have 15 positions positions and they all do something different with the boom lift or the forklift or the scissor lift or they all have 15 different types of confined spaces they enter if i got five people in my confined space class and you know a few of them go in chemical vessels and a few of them go in vats with augers all right well i got to cover both those in that class i got to get very dialed in specific and maybe on my hands-on we're gonna do two you know maybe I'll have the first group go and I have this safe mock chemical vessel. So you're going to practice a horizontal entry through a hatch and setting up retrieval systems so they know they could pull out a person from that setup. And then 
maybe I'll dismiss them. And then the remainder, they come and we're going to go set up a retrieval system and do a mock entry into more of a vertical entry with the VAT. Um, and, you know, teach them how to lock and tag that out. You know, I may have two different hands-on evaluations for the two groups because they both do something very different. If I'm just pencil whipping and I just like, all right, everybody, pretend that chair is the confined space, go sit on it, you know. Uh, You know, like, again, if OSHA audited me, I'm going to pass the training because I didn't break any of the OSHA regs. But as far as best practice goes and really giving people the hands-on training they need to perform the task right, well, I failed in that regard. So so take the extra time to do the training. If you got a mix of people, you may have to just do them all together in one classroom and then set up separate times for this group to do the hands-on portion and for this uh, group to do the hands-on portion. And that's a cool thing. You know, OSHA doesn't say that the hands-on portion and the classroom portion has to be done the exact same day consecutively. They just can't go do the task till they're completely trained. But I could have everybody together in my classroom and teach them all together and then meet with them a week later to do hands-on training and then this other group a week after that and then certify them after they completed the full course. So you just need to reflect the different dates they went through each portion, the hands-on versus the classroom on all your paperwork. Just document it correctly and don't let them do the job until they're completely trained. But I mean, there's a lot more leeway than people think when it comes to hands-on training. So that's just stuff to think about, you know, use the actual gear that they're using. Sometimes I postpone training. You know, people will hire me for a permit required confined space entry course. And I go, okay, cool, man. So um, I, you guys got to have a four-gas monitor, you know, so I could train your people how to run your meter, how to calibrate your meter. They're like, oh, we don't have one. I'm like, okay. Um, I need you to make sure your retrieval system is in class. If you're using a tripod, I need the tripod there. I need the man winch there. I need the self-retracting lanyard with rescue capabilities there. I need a harness there so I could train your people how to run your own equipment. They're like, oh, we don't have none of that yet. I'm like, well, then what am I training them on? I mean, I could do lecture. I could teach them the regulations, but I can't certify them, you know, because we didn't do nothing. To me, certification means you're competent in a skill. If I'm certifying you're competent to enter a permit required confined space and not die, it means I had to like see you do it. You know, you had to actually do some reps and you had to pass. You had to set up everything right. You had to do everything right. I'm never going to certify anybody without any hands-on training. That's just how I operate. So sometimes I'll postpone. I'll say, well, I'll, I'll work with you. I'll do some consulting. I'll, I'll, I'll go evaluate all your confined spaces and I'll, I'll advise on the specific equipment I think will work perfect for those type of entries. Then it's up to you to purchase that set equipment. And then when that equipment arrives, then we could do the training. I've had to do that many, many, many times, you know, and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, what I think would be wrong and wrong is a loose term. It's not illegal. It's just not good training. It's not best practice. What I think's not great and what I don't like to do is like, well, Aaron, you got a bunch of equipment. Just let's do the class anywhere in your equipment. And then we'll we'll just buy your, you know, same equipment you had. Okay. You know, it's not illegal, but it's not great because what if, you know, my monitor's out of stock and you get a different one? What if the equipment I bring isn't the exact best equipment for your exact type of entries, you know? 
What if there's way better stuff out there? Plus, there's just newer stuff, man. You know? I was on site the other day. These guys had the coolest, coolest wench for confined space retrieval. It even had this little uh, part on the the wench that you could stick a, a drill into and reel them out so you don't have to use a hand crank. I mean, it could work on horizontal and vertical uh, entries for retrieval. It was smooth, man. It was rated for humans for retrieval as well as to raise and lower tools to a certain amount. It was rated for both. I mean, this was a slick little piece of equipment, man. And I trained them on it. But if I had brought my own, they wouldn't have got trained on their own equipment and they would have got trained on just not as good equipment because that plant had a lot of money and they bought the top of line stuff. My stuff's all for training. Some of it's been donated to me. Some of it's busted and it's just really a prop, you know, that I pass around. We don't use it. It's just a prop. You know, people get a little show and tell going. So that's all the right reasons, you know, all the reasons why you you want to um, have the right gear in your class. Same with the lifts. You know, if I train somebody on a Toyota forklift that's got the little toggle switches and then they go run one that has levers, you know, it's just not great training. It's not training model and make specific, you know. If I train somebody on a forklift that could lift 3,750 pounds and I teach them that, I teach them how to identify the ID plate and the capacity, and then for whatever reason, they got that number stuck in their head and then they go to use a different forklift and they don't read the ID plate and they think they could lift 3,750 pounds, but their forklift could only lift 2,800 pounds, they might have an incident, you know, because they weren't trained on the very specific make and model that they run. So all this stuff should go into your head, you know, when you're training, you know, from the environment. And and after I said all that about getting that conducive environment, that's where you want to start. But you should also do some environmental training, like as far as the environment they're going to run in. Once you've had that safe, chill environment for them to get the basics and be adequate and competent and safe. Then maybe go into the exact environment they're going to operate in, where it is loud and the hustle and the bustle and all the different lifts zooming around. Then maybe have them do something simple that reflects what they're really going to do with it in that environment, but only after they've got a basic level of competency in the chill environment. Then go do some environmental training. So all the stuff to think about, but... I hope you guys enjoyed How to Train Part 2 where we really got into the weeds on on testing and some of the hands-on stuff. Remember, document, document, document everything you do. Have hands-on evaluation forms. If you didn't document it, you didn't do it, you got to prove you did it. So remember to get all your paperwork right. That's a big part of training too. And remember to file it right. If it's five years later, we should be able to find that file from that class. You know, So... I hope you guys enjoying how to train and I hope you guys do some killer best practice, high level, great quality, relevant and pertinent, super dialed in training for your employees. Um, I will end with one of the other things that makes a very successful hands-on trainer. It is a very difficult thing. I struggle with it constantly. It's the P word. Patience. Some people whip through the test even if they never ran that vehicle before, the hands-on test. They're just 
pretty good. Some people whip through it, no problem, because they've been running it for 25 years, just didn't have the card. But then about one in 500 people, well, maybe one in 100 uh, sucks. You know what I mean? They're just struggling. Struggle bus city. And, man, you just can't fail them. Your job is a train, so you got to be patient. Maybe have them get off, get everybody else through it, and then schedule a separate time for them to you just to work with them one-on-one. Be more stubborn than them. Be calm. Be patient. Be nice. Um, work with them. And just, like I said, be stubborn. Just like, no, my job is to train you, and I'm going to train you. And just try. I don't care if it takes you an hour. Work, work, work with them. Don't be quick to fail them. Work, 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 work with them. If you can't, if you're just not working, get somebody else to work with them who's also a certified trainer. If they can't get them to do it, okay, maybe then that's one out of 100 you're failing. Because there are people out there that just have no business running equipment and are not safe and never going to be safe and never certify that person. I don't care if the boss is like, but I need that person to run that. I don't care. Don't sign off on it. If they're not right, if no matter how much patience, how much time, how many attempts, you worked with them one hour every day for a month <laughs> and they're just never going to get it and they're a danger, you just got to have the courage to not certify them no matter what crap comes your way for not getting your job done of certifying that person. You got to be okay with that because you need integrity as a trainer and a certifier and to not certify people who just can't get it. But please hear me, that's only after you've had extreme amount of patience and you've given them a lot of attempts and you really, really try it. I'm not talking about you just throw them on it, say go put this pallet on the fourth one and they don't do it and you fail them after the first attempt. No, I'm talking about giving practice time, work with them, start them off simple, one-on-one, really low-stimulus environment, no hecklers. I'm talking about you've tried your best and you were patient, and they still didn't get it, then, you know, that just happens sometimes. That's not on you. Go ahead and, and, and not certify them and fail them. But just know that that's not the average thing. If you're failing 25% of your students, that's you. You're not taking the time to train them right, you know. Also, take the burden off you. You're not there to make experts. Experts in operating only comes with seasoning, with time running that machine, hundreds of hours. Your job is just to verify that they're going to be a safe, competent person and can get good through time operating. But you, you're you just there to verify that they're started off on the right foot, that are going to do it slow and safe and, and know how to run the basics. All right, everybody. Well, until next time, stay safe. Thank you.